This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome back to yet another episode of Breaking Pot. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and friend, Josh Goldman. Josh, how are you this evening? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? And I think I think probably you were distracted because you are seeing me on video, and I do have the man button. I know today. exactly. So I, I was think distracted. you were just a little thrown off. I already, yeah, I, I couldn't pronounce co-host. <laughs> but hello, Josh. The the man bun. I have to say, it's looking good. I never pictured you as a man bun person, but now that you have this COVID crop going on and have not had your hair cut since the end of February, I think it was. Yeah, I think um, maybe mid-February. Mid-February. Uh, it's it's looking solid. I mean, it is, I will say it's less of a man bun. You're, you don't quite have the length for a man bun. It's more of like a man a man ponytail with the, like the Cindy <laughs> yeah. Lou Who kind of curls sticking out of the top. So yeah, it's, Look, a, it's, it's not great. It's it, not great, but I, it could you, be. You pull it off, man. I, I, I think over video, over the pixelated video, it doesn't look so horrible, but um, ask my wife, see what she thinks. <laughs> what she thinks did you get get a comment on it today i actually did do like an instagram poll for for the very few i have a private instagram but like for my very few followers and it actually i you know i said uh what do you guys think of the the man pony and the two responses that i had for the poll were uh, giddy yup or uh ah hoof no and actually the uh, people who voted yes 52 to 48 percent so i you know i was surprised people were not a totally turned off by it that's, that's not, that, i mean i i think that's valid i i would be in the uh what was it giddy up giddy yup yep i would i would to be in the giddy the up category thing. i think it looks pretty good yeah <laughs> i mean i think maybe it'll look a little better when your hair's a little bit longer but you got to start somewhere yeah. right so yeah absolutely and and you know who knows when the next time we'll be able to get a haircut is so of course my wife has offered many many times to cut my hair and i say you know thank you and i've uh i certainly can am capable of doing it myself probably but you know no thank you so uh, we'll see. We'll see. Well, I enjoy cutting my own hair because I just never know what I'm going to get. And, yeah. you know, I'll do an errant stroke here or there and then think, oh, no. And just like Joe Bluth <laughs> on Arrested Development, I'll think I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah. And then I have to uh, kind of, you know, work around that and try to hide the mistake, et cetera. So it's just, it's always an adventure when you cut your own hair. So that's fun. Exactly. I did see a YouTube video where this engineer built a robot to cut his hair. And it actually worked surprisingly well. Wow. It's kind of cool. Very intricate. Uh, I'll, I'll send it to you later. Very, very cool. That's impressive. I mean, did he have a simple haircut? No, he he basically like programmed, you know, like one of those little Arduino computers and wrote code to like, he, he would like paint something in a in a program, like shaded on his head. And then the robot would follow that. It was, it's very impressive. I certainly don't know enough about engineering to really know what he was doing, but it was, it was pretty cool. It sounds like a lot more work than just cutting your own hair. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. But you know, he has a YouTube channel. So what are you going to do? <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, Josh, today we're doing the second to last episode of season four. Hard to believe we're already here. This one's called end times. And I think really the last three episodes of season four, uh, are, are just a fantastic kind of trio to end the season with. You know, I found out today, actually, that at the time they wrote these episodes, the creative team, the writers team did not know if they were going to get renewed for a fifth season. Interesting. So they were actually written as the potential end of the series. Obviously, they were hoping that there would be more. So they they leave some doors open for 
the future for these characters, but they were written as an ending of sorts so that the show could conceivably end here and not leave a whole bunch of loose ends. So it was interesting after I learned that, when I was watching these, I was thinking, oh yeah, that makes a lot more sense. I can see how this would give some sort of closure, right? But also also leaving some question marks in the viewer's mind, but in perhaps the way that the show is intended to do. In fact, as we watch through next season, season five, I think we'll find that that's, that's certainly the case. Um, so some really good cinema here, some really good writing, really good scenes, really good music, in fact, uh, as well in these three episodes. I think the music is coming through very prominently in some of these dramatic scenes. Uh, but End Times, of course, is no exception. It has one of the um, most impressive acting performances from Aaron Paul. Uh, I also found out, I'll just give this away now, in my trivia and bloopers section for this podcast episode, I found out that uh, when Aaron Paul received his second Emmy, and as, as you've pointed out before, Josh, when, when an actor or actress is nominated for an Emmy, that actor or actress gets to select one episode from the show for which they're nominated. So he was nominated for Breaking Bad, uh, season four, and he got to nominate himself, or he got to select one episode of his own performance that he thought best characterized his, characterized his acting and made his case for Emmy. And Aaron Paul selected this episode. And I think we'll talk about why we think he did that. It's a very strong acting performance from Aaron Paul as Jesse. Lots of good things to talk about in here. Josh, we, you were just asking me before we hit record here whether or not I liked uh, this episode more the second to last one, End Times, or Face Off, the last episode of the season. I said I personally like the last episode, but you said you like End Times, Josh. Why is that? Well, I think the main reason is because I on a rewatch, I think if you're watching this for the first time, Face Off is certainly just such a good climax to this season. It's such a great ending. But upon a rewatch, you know, I, I remember distinctly what happens at the end of Face Off, which we'll talk about in the next episode. So if you're not quite caught up yet, don't worry, I'm not going to spoil it here. But but this episode, there were moments in here, especially the the scene between Jesse and Walt, which I think we'll talk about in depth, that I, I remembered, but I didn't remember the emotional depth of that. And I think that that is something that I'm appreciating more on a rewatch, is sort of watching these characters more as characters as opposed to the the beats of the story and this episode in particular end times has great moments between characters and so for that reason i tend to like this one a little bit more on a rewatch but i can totally see that if you're watching it for the first time that you would probably tend towards face off episode 13 more than that yeah, well, and we'll talk about this in the next episode as well. Uh, I tend to like the last one just because of the huge tell and twist at the very end of that one. And we'll talk about that uh, as well. I just don't want to do it here prematurely and, and spoil something if one of our listeners is you know watching each episode as we go, etc. So we'll talk about that as we go on. But Josh, tonight, let's start with the two-minute summary. We'll grade that, and then we'll go on from there. So, courtesy of Wikipedia, this is the two-minute summary for End Times, Season 4, Episode 12. Skylar, Walt Jr., and Holly go under DEA protection at Hank and Marie's home. Andrea calls Jesse to the hospital because her son Brock is in critical condition with a mysterious flu-like illness. Jesse finds the ricin vial missing and confronts Walt at the latter's barricaded home, suspecting he poisoned Brock. Walt convinces Jesse that Gus is behind the poisoning as the final manipulation to turn Jesse fully against Walt and the two agree Gus must be killed. Gus comes to the hospital and demands Jesse return to cook, but Jesse refuses. 
Walt attempts to kill Gus with a car bomb, but Gus, sensing danger, abandons the vehicle in the hospital parking garage. All right, that's the end of the summary. Josh, what letter grade do you give this one? Well, I appreciate that it certainly comes in under two minutes, more like a one-minute summary, which is always always appreciated. But, I mean, though it touches on the major plot points, it's pretty bland in its description. So I'm going to give it a C. It's just right down the middle for me. I, I think that's right. I would say even C-. minus. I think there's, in addition to it just being a little bit too cut and dry, um, it also falls victim to sort of botching the main turning point of this episode or the main thematic element where when it says Walt convinces Jesse that Gus is behind the poisoning as the final manipulation to turn Jesse fully against Walt and the two agree Gus must be killed. So Walt convinces Jesse that Gus is behind the poisoning and Walt's convincing Jesse of that as the final manipulation to turn Jesse fully against Walt. I mean, that's, that's one way you could read that sentence and it's very confusing. So yeah, just to clear this up, uh, you know, and this is why I give this summary a C minus, but let me just sort of restate this. So Jesse figures out or deduces, even if wrongly, that Brock has been poisoned with ricin. Jesse thinks, who's the only other person who knew I had ricin on me? That would be Walt. Walt must have taken the ricin from me when I was at his house the other day and poisoned Brock with it in order to get back at me for deserting him. Walt then says, what are you talking about? Gus had to have known it was on your person. Tyrus could have, Tyrus is, is Gus's, um, Gus's guy who babysits Jesse in the lab. Tyrus very easily could have found it in your pants uh, in the locker while you were cooking. And then Gus could have done that. Why would Gus do that? Gus would do that, Jesse, to make you think that I did it and make you realize that I had to be killed just as Gus wants me killed, etc. And so Walt explains this to Jesse. Jesse then says to Walt, okay, basically I've got it. Gus needs to go. Let's take care of this. And that's why they, they try to kill Walt with a car bomb. So the fact that the, um, the summary doesn't capture any of that and sort of botches its one attempt at trying to explain that complicated dynamic to me earns it a, a C minus top. So that's where I go with the grade. Yeah. And you know, hearing you explain that it's a, it's a really complicated sequence that Walt is, is trying that Walt and Jesse sort of you like come to here. It's like, it's very, it's a very complicated way of convincing Jesse that he needs to turn against Gus, you know, whether or not it's true. And we'll find out next episode, you know, what the, the true story behind Brock's poisoning was, but I just, it's like everything to me, what I appreciate about it is that everything has to go right for this to work. And it does, but which in most movies or TV shows would feel a little bit on the nose. It's like, okay, of course everything. But, but the, what I appreciate about it is that the writers, the, the actors, everybody's done the work up to this point for, for us as the audience to believe this. Like you can totally see why this is, why Jesse might feel a certain way, why Walt might try this tactic, why it's plausible that Gus could have done this, why, you know, like Tyrus could have gotten in Jesse's stuff and gotten the rice and like everything to this point, it, it could make sense. And so I appreciate that they took the time before this. We've talked in the past about how some of these episodes can be slow, how it doesn't always feel like there's something happening, but it's these episodes, End Times and then Face Off, which can actually probably be viewed as like an hour and a half long movie uh, that we, we've talked about before is, is quite common with the last two episodes of the season. 
you know, they've done the work ahead of time to make these pay off in really powerful ways. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I want to use that, your comment there, Josh, as a launching point for what I would decide is the best writing for this episode. So we normally choose the best writing. And I think in every case thus far, that has been a, a piece of dialogue, a conversation between characters, perhaps. In this case, in this episode, I I want to select as best writing just this whole sort of thematic element and the very intricate setup that the writers have done for this whole problem. Brock is in the hospital with some sort of infection or or poisoning. The doctors don't know. Nobody knows. Jesse realizes his ricin's missing, and, and, and that leads him down this trail of figuring out who could have done this. He thinks it's Walt. Walt then has a, a sort of very reasonable explanation for why it couldn't have been him, but rather had to have been Gus, etc. And the whole setup, I think, is really, really elaborate and very, very well done, independent, of course, of all the dialogue, which is also phenomenal. And I think you'll talk about that in your best scene, Josh. But I really, really like this part of the writing. And it's one of the things that Breaking Bad does consistently well, right? This is, um, in, a, in a way, I think it's sort of arrest development level genius um that's a the first the first three seasons the original seasons of rest development are just so uh, so amazing because of the way that the the various plot lines and there are you know i don't know a dozen at any one time the various plot lines all sort of build on each other and connect in unexpected and very intricate ways and i get the same sense of that here right all of the various narratives are coming to coming together you know whether that's um uh, uh, you know, Hank with his problems with the DEA, you know, hold up at home and trying to do the investigation through Gomi, uh, or it's Gus trying to keep Walt off his back, or it's Walt trying to get back at Gus and back with Jesse, et cetera. Um, and, and so I, I just love the way that's, that's again, sort of built on top of each other, all, all those various plot lines layer by layer. And I think it's a real testament to the strength of the writer's room on this episode specifically. Yeah, and I think that, that that this show, along with a show, you know, like Arrested Development, and there are, there are a handful of others. There's a density to the the levels that they that they sort of portray in the show. That some shows are just very surface level, like what you see is what you get. And one of my biggest pet peeves with with TV shows and movies is is like manipulation of the audience where they try to make you feel a certain way or think a certain way without earning that from the audience. So for example, they'll do a really sad moment with, you know, someone dying or, or someone being sick, but you don't have any, you don't have anything built up with the characters. You don't have anything built up with the story. And some people are moved by that. I'm not one of those people. So what I appreciate about breaking bad as a show and, and this episode and the next episode in particular is that, as I said before, they've done the work and that all of these different things are paying off. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I want to ask you about your your nomination for um, for best scene. Uh, but before I do that, I want to say just my honorable mention for best writing is this wonderful dialogue between uh, Gomi, Steve Gomez, the DEA agent, Hank Schrader's partner, and Dennis, who's the uh, the guy at the laundromat, just a, a wonderful dialogue where I think uh, Gomi really gets a chance to shine as the the actor's name is Stephen Michael Quezada, really gets to, to sort of turn on his inner Hank and, uh, and spin a yarn for Dennis and get his way into the laundromat without a warrant, et cetera. And I think it's just really well done. And I was curious, and I was like, this is actually a rare moment where Gomi is 
you know, getting a chance to just, to just shine. And I was curious about Stephen Michael Quesada's backstory. He is not a prominent actor by any means. He's a native New Mexican. And if you look at his Wikipedia page, he's actually listed not just as an actor, but also a politician. And that's because he is a member of the uh, Bernalillo County Board of Commissioners. He's been in office since 2016. And so he's actually a, a local politician in New Mexico. He's a native New Mexican. Uh, went to Eastern New Mexico University where he studied theater, but didn't actually graduate there. And then has been on a, a you know a series of, of uh, sort of smaller time movies and uh, bit parts and TV shows. Uh, mostly in, or, or I guess most notably in Breaking Bad, and then he's got a couple of appearances in Better Call Saul as well. Uh, but just a really interesting guy, and, and I like that moment for him in this show. But I will uh, digress no further. Josh, tell me about your selection for best scene. Well, my selection for best scene is I, I've cheated for the first time in in four seasons of of doing this podcast. I've cheated and and made my best writing that my the same as my best scene, mainly because it's such a long like complex, very densely packed scene. And it's, it's the one between Jesse and Walt. So as Zach was describing earlier, the complex nature of Jesse sort of trying to figure out who could have poisoned Brock. And he ultimately comes to the determination that, that Walt has done this. So he confronts Walt in his, is as the uh, summary pointed out, his barricaded home, which I think is an apt description I have a nit to pick in the next episode, so I'll, I'll come back to that about his barricaded home. But this whole scene, I mean, it, it's it's several minutes, I don't know, five, six minutes of of just sort of masterclass acting and emotional uh, buildup here. And, you know, it's both well-written, as Zach was talking about, sort of the development of this situation is complex and intense and and really pays off for the audience but it's also just extremely well acted and beyond that moves the entire story forward so we don't get the next episode unless we have the scene between walt and jesse so we're going to hear a little bit of that there's certainly much more and we'll talk a little bit about that just admit it admit what you did admit it i did not do this shut up stop lying i'm not i'm not lying I'm not lying, just listen to me. Listen to me, what would I have to gain? What possible, possible could I, who, who would? Oh my God. Hey. Stop laughing! So there's a couple of things I want to point out about this this scene, and, and particularly the part we just heard. The first is that as the audience watching this episode, we're not sure whether Jesse's deduction is correct. Did Walt do this? Did Gus do it? We don't know. So there are layers of the acting here that you have to think about. So if Walt didn't do it, then his reaction to Jesse is totally natural. Like, please don't come at me with a gun. Like, I, I didn't do this. But if Walt did do it, then his level of acting within the acting that he's doing for the show is like doubly so. So not only is he is Brian Cranston acting as Walt, Walt is acting for Jesse, putting on this like intense, like, I swear I didn't do it. And it and it's totally believable for us as the audience and then for Jesse ultimately. So that's one piece of it. The other piece that I wanted to point out here is, you know, we talked in the last episode 
you know, crawl space about how that episode ends with Walt like maniacally laughing. And we talked about how sometimes laughter is almost scarier than than someone being super intense back at you. And here we have again, Walt is like laughing in a in a situation that is not remotely funny. And so I find that another interesting point into Walt as a character. Yeah. So two quick things to add here. So in Crawl Space, you may recall we had the same kind of uh, 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 base beat to highlight the buildup to when Walt started doing that maniacal laughter thing. And we hear the same exact thing here. We just heard it in the audio that we played. And I think this is actually part of a sort of a, a more prominent role that sound effects and music have played in the last few episodes and they'll also play in the finale. So I think that's just interesting from a thematic standpoint, um, thematic standpoint. But uh, in this case too, it's almost like... Um, it's almost like in a horror film, right? When you're watching a horror film and there's some sort of musical cue that's like, oh, the demon's here, right? Or like the ghost is about to jump out, et cetera. And that's what I think of when I watch both Crawl Space and this part, right? It's right when that maniacal laughter is about to start that we hear that rhythmic beat start to come back into the picture. And there's something very eerie and uncomfortable about the night. I think it's very well done. Uh, the other thing I'll say, a little bit less complimentary of this scene, there is so much to commend it, but, uh, and I'm just jumping ahead now to one of my nits to pick, when Jesse pushes Walt, he flops so badly. It's like James Harden <laughs> in the NBA. Uh, it's super fake. Like, go back and watch this scene. When Jesse pushes Walt, Walt, like, throws up his hand and, and jumps up in the air and then and flops down on the on the ground. Looks very, very fake, and it's, it's clear the acting is uh, is not great. When they when they had the fight scene, when they uh, when they beat each other up uh, two episodes ago, there were some there were some things in that fight scene. I, men- I mentioned when one of the bloopers is that the uh, the tracker hit Walt on a different side of the face than his cut was on, et cetera. And then there were some things about the fight that looked a little off, but it was not quite as flagrant as Walt flop here. So go back and look at that. But that's that's one of my nits to pick. But so, yeah, Josh, so what you're saying is so what you're saying is Walt is is ready for the Premier League. He's ready for his uh, European. <laughs> He's soccer ready. Debut. Yeah, he can start his European soccer career. Exactly. One of the, one of the other things I wanted to point out just quickly about the scene is that when you watch the scene, when when Walt is finally on the ground and there's this confrontation between Jesse, who's towering above him and Walt sort of cowering on the ground, we sort of have a, a reversal of their typical roles. So typically, Walt is the one who is towering over Jesse, not necessarily physically, but certainly like mentally and and sort of, you know, in, in every other way, he is the the bigger character, the bigger person. But I also really appreciate that the scene was framed between these two dining room chairs and so what you see is this very compact very like tight scene even though they're in this wide open room what you're seeing is basically like this idea of the walls closing in they're not they're not physically moving a la you know star wars trash compactor but it feels like it's it's getting like condensed more and more as the scene goes on ultimately to the point where jesse like has the gun right there and walt pulls it to his face and it's this like huge moment. You're like, what is Jesse going to do? And if you didn't know that this was like the not going to be, if you didn't know that the series is going to continue into season five, you weren't sure what was going to happen to Walt. Was Jesse going to pull the trigger? Was he going to shoot him somewhere else? Like you just don't know. And so this scene has such a buildup and ultimately will drive us into the next episode. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, so let's move on real quick to my next selection for best moment. Uh, and then we've got a couple of of no audio selections for uh, best scene and best moment. So my selection for best moment is just before 
the scene we just saw, and this is just when Jesse is realizing that he does not have the ricin cigarette anymore. No. 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 So very dramatic, of course. I, I like this as a best moment because this is when, as an audience, the the writer's room, the director is cluing us into what's going on here. Brock is unwell. We don't know why. I mean, this this could be anything, right? Kids get sick. Uh, things happen. Could be a you know anything from food poisoning to a bad case of the flu to some sort of exotic virus. Um, but now we're clued into the possibility that it is ricin. And I think when I first watched this, I thought, oh, did Brock take one of Jesse's cigarettes and, you know, smoke it? And maybe that's how he got sick. Uh, no, that's not a very plausible explanation for what's going on because, you know, the way the vial was contained in the cigarette, et cetera. So, you know, if you if you reflect on it for more than 10 seconds, you'll realize the most plausible explanation is that somebody who knew it was there uh, would have poisoned Brock or that Brock got into it and then it was like what is this you know powder in a vial let me put it in my juice or whatever um but the the point is that brock might be dying now because of jesse's carelessness or because somebody has has tried to get back at jesse in some way and that moment as a viewer where you realize the gravity of the situation and how much the stakes have just been raised in a span of 20 seconds i think is really really powerful and on top of that aaron paul's acting is phenomenal in this. Uh, you see this scene taking place right out in front of the hospital. He went out to get a smoke, and then all of a sudden he's a he's a wreck, you know, crumbling, unrolling all of his cigarettes to see if it's in there, and yelling no, no, no. So it's a really powerful moment, and I liked it for all of those reasons. All right, Josh, we're going to move on to your selection for best moments. So what do you have? This is a no audio selection, but I think it's something that struck you as as rather powerful. Yeah, so this is this is the moment where Walt is basically loading his family into the car with the, you know, DEA agents and the the police and he's basically saying goodbye. He's not sure he's going to see them again and you know, he realizes that the stakes, you know, what's what's going to happen are very high. And I just found this moment really interesting when he says goodbye to his daughter his uh, infant daughter as uh, Gus Fring. So that's right. Your creepily said, daughter. <laughs> so creepily said last episode, uh, you know, when he says goodbye to her, she's just crying. Now there could be multiple reasons for this. One of them could be that, you know, actors of that age, i.e. That's uh, what I was thinking. Age yeah. <laughs> one and a half are just not, you know, that you can't control them. They might be crying. But what I read into it is that perhaps, perhaps, it was thematic because even his daughter, who doesn't realize what he is doing, is aware that he is not a good person. And you mentioned at the end of the last episode of Crawl Space that I don't know, remember if this was your thought or something you'd read, but that was the moment where Walt turns fully right, into right. this Heisenberg character. And is this just a little subtle nod to even those among us who can't speak, who can't verbalize? they even realize that Walt is this evil person. No, that's exactly right. And I think you're, you're right to read into that. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, um, I don't know. It's kind of what people say about dogs, right? Dogs can have the sixth sense about persons and, and people and, and have some sort of intuition about their character. I think kids can, in many respects, be the same way. 
Uh, and, and, you know, I think to read into Holly sort of mourning, mourning her dad's character perhaps is, is an interesting, interesting idea. And I, I buy into it for sure. Um, my best scene selection for this also no audio, very simple. Uh, and if you know what's coming in the next episode, you know why, but it's just, um, Walt is, is spinning the pistol on the, on the table, his revolver. And it's interesting because of where the, the revolver finally ends up right when it's pointing towards that plant and Walt has kind of an expression that's it's almost saying like oh that's interesting but the reason I like it is that Walt is spinning it almost almost as if it's Russian roulette right he's spinning it on the table and seeing where it lands and the first time he spins it it lands directly pointing at him and the second time he spins it it lands pointing directly at him and he re-spins it in both those instances because he doesn't like what it's saying. Right. And so I was thinking yeah, back I had to the same thought. Yeah. I was thinking back to the conversation in the, in the cancer ward when he was there for his, his PET scan. And, uh, he's talking to the other, the other cancer patient, basically saying like seize control, never give up control, et cetera. And so this was a very tangible example, I think of him, you know, seeing where fate would lead him and then rejecting that and saying, no, I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to accept that outcome. I'm going to work to do something else. Um, and I, I like that a lot. I also liked it from a technical perspective because that was a single shot. And so I don't know how many times they had to, sh- they had to shoot that to have a single shot in which he spins the gun twice. And in two times in a row, it ends up pointing directly at him. But I thought that was just cool from a technical perspective as well. Yeah. I was trying to figure out if they, if they maybe had it like on some sort of a magnet or something that they, they could have rigged something up, you know, yeah, production sure. department had to, your goal for this week is to find a way for the pistol to always point at Walt when we want it to point at him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. How, however they did it. I mean, if, we, if it was just chance, you know, Brian Cranston had a finely tuned, uh, a speed with which he was spinning yeah. that, or if there was some sort of, uh, you know, mechanism by which to slow it down. I thought it was just cool, uh, and made for a, a good, uh, good delivery of that. Yeah. That, I think uh, you're spot stuff. on though with, with the, with the idea that, it's sort of like it, I think it's supposed to remind us of Russian roulette, but I think also that Walt is—he's not accepting the the results of the Russian roulette, and and I think that that is pretty clear in the scene. Yeah, and it's like um, you know, it's just kind of like a, a poker player who refuses to accept the results of a loss, right? I mean, yeah, it, what 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 he's doing at that point is cheating, right? I mean, he played the game, he didn't like the outcome, so he decided to play the game again until he got an outcome that that he liked. And as we find out, you know, the outcome that he liked uh, was to go down a very, very dark path. So um, that was interesting. So now we're on nits to pick, Josh, as we look to wrap up this discussion here. I already talked about my nit to pick with respect to uh, Walt's James Harden impression and flopping when (laughs) Jesse pushed him. Maybe we can go with the soccer player since you mentioned soccer, maybe like uh, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what, what nits, if any, do you have to pick in this episode? Yeah, my, my main nit to pick is in the is in the first scene of this episode. It's it's like this very um, rushed scene where Walt and Skylar are packing their things to to go with the DEA agents, and basically Walt tells her, "Look, Skylar, I'm not coming." Uh, you know, most of the time I think Anna Gunn is very good. For some reason, this she's just not good in the scene. I don't know what it is. It's just like I did not buy her emotional you know levels here. I just felt like it was disingenuous. I don't know what I don't know what it was. I can't pinpoint it. 
But I also, my bigger nit to pick is, you know, she she says, like, what do you mean you're not coming? What are we going to tell Hank? And then literally the next scene, it's it's as if like they could never come up with something that he would believe. Literally the next scene, Walt's like, Yeah, well, I gotta I gotta look after the car wash. So, you know, it's it's like the easiest excuse ever. Yes, they own a business. Like, I'm not in danger. I have to look after it's like, what was that? That was whole the whole thing was just so silly. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And what was it Hank said? He was like, did you hang out, hand out enough air fresheners or something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah. He makes some sort of yeah. comment about it. Yeah. Um, those were my nits to pick. No, those are good nits. Uh, I, I agree. I mean, I thought that, that conversation also, um, to me, felt stilted. So I totally understand where you're coming from on that. Uh, we are now to the MVP tally, Josh. So who earns your most valuable performer nod for this episode? I have a feeling I know who it's going to be, but... You're a man full of surprises, so it could be the fly. I surprised you before. I could have surprised you before. No, it is the uh, it is the the bomb that is attached to the bottom of Gus's car. No, we didn't really talk about that, by the way. That that was another one of my little nits to pick. Is that how did Gus know? Like, what was what what was his what tipped him off? Was it Jesse and his conversation in the chapel of of the hospital? I I, I didn't quite pick up on that, even on a rewatch. Great point. Yeah, I also don't know exactly, but I'm glad you mentioned that because that was actually one of the things I had as my runner-up for best best scene. So my best scene was the spinning of the pistol or the revolver. Uh, Runner-up to me was Gus realizing that he's been set up. And so as the viewer, we're watching this, we're like, oh, Gus is finally going to get his comeuppance. Walt's going to blow up the car, et cetera. And then Gus just like stops and surveys the scene almost like you know surveying his kingdom and then just wordlessly turns around with his guys and walks away from the car and Walt's like no 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 and it is a really powerful moment I was thinking about what could have given away it had to have been the conversation with Jesse but there were also some things that made you wonder you know did did Gus see something was there something he saw that looked off because he he does look out there and survey the scene right where Walt is Walt ducks down um, it's not clear that Gus sees something. It's, it's, it's in fact not clear at all, uh, because he doesn't like hone in on one spot and just stare. He sort of looks around, et cetera. But, uh, I don't know. It could have been something he saw as well, but I think it's almost better that as the viewer, we don't know what it was because it, it leaves Gus with this air of omniscience about him. Right. And, and indef- indefatigability and, uh, and just sort of, uh, whatever the term is for ever watchfulness. I mean, it's, he's going to be a really, really hard guy to take down because this was a pretty airtight plan. It was executed, executed to perfection. And uh, right when Gus was walking towards the car, he was like, nope, not going to do it. Well, I think one of the, one of the advantages we have, you know, this is streaming is that you can go back and watch the scene before. So when it first aired, of course, you wouldn't be able to go back and watch the conversation between Jesse and, and Gus. So I did go back and watch just the, just the brief conversation between Jesse and Gus in the chapel of the church, which I'm sure there's some symbolism that it's taking place there, but I don't, I don't really know what that is. But if you watch carefully when, when Jesse mentions that maybe he was poisoned and Gus says, Oh, like, how do you know that? And Jesse responds with something like the the doctors don't know. And he sort of, Jesse sort of gives him a look like, did you do it? He doesn't say anything, but Gus's reaction after that completely changes. That's when he tells Jesse, okay, take all the time you need, come back when you're ready. And then he leaves. So it could have been something there. I mean, at least it's plausible that, that Gus catches on to something at that point. 
Yeah, totally fair. As as far as the chapel scene, I agree with you. I think there's something going on there. Uh, you don't you don't put the cast in a quiet chapel in the midst of all this going on without thinking through some of the symbolism of that. I mean, it might be as simple as let's just contrast these dark characters uh, with the sort of peace and tranquility of a chapel. Uh, I wonder though if there's a little bit more to it, you know, and and on the basically on the sides of the cross, right? There are these two characters who are in there and the cross is, is sort of center. I don't think it's actually center picture most of the time for the conversation, but it's, it's definitely central in the room. Right. And so I was thinking about the, the thieves on the right and left hand sides of Jesus dying on Mm, the cross. One of those is, is recognizing the truth, despite the fact that he has failed to, act on it for most of his earthly life. The other one is, is making a complete mockery of the truth and persisting in his, uh, in his evil, despite the fact that he understands the consequences, et cetera. And so I was kind of thinking of that, like, is that a picture of Jesse and Gus respectively, as they have this conversation, you know, almost literally at the foot of the cross in that chapel? Well, if it's not, that's a great explanation. Okay. I've totally taken us away from our MVP here. So let me get back to that for you. I think I think this is tough because I'm between Jesse and Walt. I mean, both of them give a plus performances, you know, both of their characters drive the plot forward, but it's hard to argue with the fact that Jesse, you know, Aaron Paul won an Emmy for this. So I'm going to give it to Jesse. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, It's hard to not give it to Jesse here and I'm going to do the same thing. Uh, It's also between Walt and Jesse for me and Walt and Jesse are neck and neck in that one interaction they have. But Jesse has a lot more in this episode, you know, be it, you know, with him realizing the Rison's gone, his interactions with Andrea, um, his interactions with Gus. There's a lot going on. And Aaron Paul is pretty central to this. I think he is absolutely the MVP for this episode. So I'm giving him the nod as well. All right. That's it for this episode, Josh. Did we miss anything? I think that's everything. All right. Well, for uh, Breaking Pod. Uh, well, before I say that, I'll just say if we miss anything, email us breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. We love hearing from listeners. I will also say, I actually forgot to mention this a, a few weeks ago. Heard from a listener, Tim, uh, who was listening to the, the pod. He's a big uh, Breaking Bad fan, of course, as all of us are. And he sent me a really cool picture that I'm not going to share because it's a, a private picture and uh, I probably shouldn't share it. Uh, but it's a picture of Vince Gilligan posing with some custom breaking bad pez dispensers i forwarded you that email as well josh so yeah, you'd see it that was cool uh, but it was pretty cool uh and, and maybe when we have vince gilligan on the podcast josh we can ask him about that and see if we can share that photo he might be up open to it yeah i know my son would be a huge fan of that because well he really he just likes pez but you know he doesn't really care what the dispenser is but he's a big fan of pez so so that's still a thing like i haven't seen them in grocery stores i definitely grew up on them and they were awesome but they still let me just tell you uh, my wife's mom has purchased a, a value pack from Amazon. She has a whole Excellent. jar. You know when you go to your grandparents' house and you can get candy and, and she has a whole jar. So every time he goes over there, he gets to pick one thing of Pez. So he loves it. It's like one of his favorite things. That sounds like a great activity to do with grandma. So that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, well, yeah. So when, when Vince Gilligan comes on, we'll ask him if we can share that photo. Uh, and thank you yeah. to listener Tim for sending that along. Much appreciated. Uh, always Love hearing from listeners, so reach out breakingpod at vernacularpodcast.com. And until next week or next episode, since we're doing two a week now, I'm Zach. And I'm Josh. And we'll see you next week for the final episode of season four.